Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> Today's episode of The Other Stories is I'm Dreaming Other, written by James Doerr and narrated by Manny Realguy. I hate Bing Crosby, yet they still keep playing the traditional holiday music as if it might somehow make people feel better, on radio, TV, commercials even. That is, if they play it, if there are people still left to play it, if it isn't done by some kind of prepackaged playlist anyway. I look out the window, past the tree my wife and I decorated only two days before. I see the empty white of the front yard. Yesterday morning, Christmas Eve, I bought a snow shovel. The weather report had just predicted a sudden, possibly heavy storm and the old one was worn out. I walked to the hardware store. My wife had taken the good car out for some last-minute errands, and in any event, I could use the exercise. And, on my way back, the first flakes started falling. I was already in the front yard, but I stopped and looked up. I remembered when Eve and I had been kids, how we'd open our mouths to catch the flakes on our tongues, tasting the freshness, the cold of the melting snow. Even when Eve and I first got married, our ski trip honeymoon, thinking at that time that that was the last chance we'd have to be children. We've still not yet had kids of our own, so I thought now, why not? I stuck my tongue out. Then I felt something sting me, as if it were hail instead of snow, sharp and quick like that. I looked down a moment and saw that the snow was already sticking. I started the rest of the way to the house, and something pulled at my feet, as if I were walking through some kind of gluey mud, pulling at my boots. I wiped my glasses off once I was inside. It had gotten that cold already, and took off my boots. 
I saw what seemed like scratches on the soles. I went out back once to bring in a couple of logs for the fireplace, keeping mostly to the covered walkway between the house and the garage. I noticed the snow was getting deeper, at least an inch or an inch and a half by now, but luckily the wood pile was covered too. Over the fence, in the neighbour's yard, I saw the McAllister's two daughters playing, Angie and Ardath, rolling big balls of snow for a snowman. Then one of the girls screamed, Ardath, I think. She had her mitten off, doing some kind of fine sculpting thing on the bowl that was probably going to be the snowman's head, and it looked like she'd somehow cut her hand. A piece of glass, maybe. I waved to McAllister's wife when she came out, then went back in myself with my armload of wood, only half thinking I heard another scream, deeper and more panicked, just as I closed the back door behind me, or perhaps it was just an echo of the first one. I looked out the window, but I couldn't see anything. I figured they must have gone back in too. But in the front room, I'd carried the logs in to put in the basket next to the fireplace, Looking out the big front picture window and hoping Eve would get safely back soon, I saw the snow was really coming down. I thought I'd better start doing some shoveling, clearing some off the driveway at least, so I put my gear right back on. Hat, boots, heavy coat, even a face mask because it had seemed to be getting colder, even than before, mittens over gloves. I grabbed my new shovel and went out the back again. I saw across the McAllister's fence, sort of out of the corner of my eye, the quiet, heaped-up snow where the girls had been playing just minutes before, that even as I looked seemed to be flattening out ever so slightly. Even as the snow itself continued to deepen, there must have been three inches by now at least. Pulling my hat brim down over my face, I stepped out from the walkway and started to clear the white from the driveway, taking care to step only where I had already cleared so, when I was done, I wouldn't track too much back into the house with me. Even at that, I felt stings by my eyes, through the holes in my ski mask whenever the wind blew fresh snow against my skin, that small part of my skin that wasn't covered. Like there really was ice or sleet mixed with the snow. I thought of my wife again and I hoped she was driving carefully and that she'd be back soon, realising though that the weather would slow her. Nevertheless, I shoveled faster, surrounded by white both on the ground and in the air. Once in a while I saw shadowy figures out on the sidewalk, some that I waved to, one at least with a sudden shriek, seeming to disappear almost in front of me, only three feet or so from where I stood. Only one long sweep of shovel away as I cleared the path to him, Bob Sladecki, a neighbour down the road, who I could scarcely recognise now when I turned him over, and stared at his face. I was nearly sick. Imagine a man with acid thrown at him, with acid boiling the skin off his face. That was how Bob looked. Even as I stared down, more of his flesh melted, baring his teeth. He was long past screaming now, his high, white cheekbones. More acid seemingly boiled beneath his clothes, from his neck downward. That's what I thought then, only a day ago, that it was acid. We've all heard of acid rain and the factory district across the river isn't exactly a poster town for the EPA. Though even then I wondered, I suppose, why it was that it hadn't burned Bob's clothes too. Or for that matter, me. Rather, it was as if my clothes protected me, though I then started to notice more small stings. The little biting sensations around my neck where, as it will, some snow managed to get in under my scarf similar stings at my wrists and my ankles. 
The snow seemed to be slacking off as I ran back in, back through the kitchen door, gripping the snow shovel tightly in my left hand. I wiped my glasses and stamped the white from my feet, noting, as it melted, that it seemed nothing more than dirty water. Now in the kitchen's heat. Perhaps a bit dirtier than what I remembered from last year's snows, but still just snow water. I didn't have time for much wondering right then, though. A friend had been killed in front of my eyes, or almost in front, separated by only a veil of snow. Back in the living room, I stared out through the front picture window while I dialed 911 on the phone. I could see, already covered, the lump that was Bob, but the snow was ending, at least for the moment. I could see that far, clear out to the sidewalk and even across the street to where George Felcherson had his snowblower out, doing his own driveway. And all was silent. I heard only silence. The phone was completely dead the weight of the snow most likely having pulled a line down somewhere. I tried dialing four more times. Eve had taken the cell phone with her. While through the window, its double glazing blocking all sounds from the street as well, I watched, helpless, as Miss Blackwood screamed, the neighbour next door to George. I saw the way her mouth opened and closed when she accidentally walked into the spray from Feltress's snowblower. I saw George shout as he rushed to help her, the flesh of her face already beginning to be eaten down to the white bone beneath as if by a thousand tiny hungry mouths. Then I saw George fall too when, stepping around the snowblower to reach her, into the snow of his not yet cleared front walk, his right leg suddenly seemed to shorten, as if it were sinking into the ground. Then the other leg as well, starting at the juncture between his sock top and his pants cuff, and suddenly, too, I knew what it was, what the snow had become. But then, in my own driveway, I saw Eve's car pull in. I clapped my hat on and opened our front door, leaning out in the snow that was just restarting. Eve, don't stop! I yelled. Pull all the way up into the garage. But Eve loved snow. I still had my shovel. I threw on my coat. I pulled on my mittens. I still had my boots on. I ran outside, shoveling my way down the front steps, onto the walkway that arced to the driveway, clearing a path I dug like a madman, through snow that in places had reached five inches deep, while the car slowed and stopped. I tried to gesture with my hand, to show with my eyes that she should drive on, or at least not get out until I reached her, but the car door opened. Eve, no! I shouted, but it was no use. Not six feet away from me, Almost within reach, she stepped into the snow, grocery bags in her arms. She just stepped and went down, disappeared in the snow. As if it were five feet and not five inches deep, that was how hungry the snow had by then become. Flowing beneath the dress she'd worn that morning, not expecting the weather to turn cold. Up underneath her skirt, under her too thin coat, so quickly she didn't have time to scream herself. I reached her body and picked it up all bones and sinew beneath her clothing, but twisting, bulging, as if it were still alive, as if at least something still lived within it. I dropped the shovel. I carried her to the house. I put her down in front of the fireplace and lit the logs I had stacked in the night before, letting the fire melt the snow from her corpse. The snow from inside it, still twitching in spurts as it liquefied, gushing out onto the carpet harmless once melted, but
Christmas morning, her body lies on the couch where I placed it. I put up with Crosby's song on the TV, along with all the old Christmas-tied chestnuts, because that's all that is on. I keep hoping there'll be news, but so far it's just music on every channel, while outside it's calm and white and deathly silent. I had thought at first this heavy, strange snow was something akin to acid rain, but with Felcherson's death I knew it was more than that. Chemical pollutants, yes, are indeed a part of it, but hadn't I read once that life itself originally came from some hydrocarbon stew mixed in with water, but not completely, with still some shape to it as perhaps a crystal? The snow is just such a mix. And yet there's more to it, this snow that waits outside. If it is truly life living, it must be fed. But in winter, what is there for it to feed on in that the only plant life there might be, in sufficient profusion that is, would be already withered? Which leaves only meat, and thus a life form composed largely of tiny, razor-sharp crystal teeth that melts as ice melts in warmth, but in the cold outside, Bing Crosby comes on again on the TV, not dreaming of what a white Christmas might mean these days. While I, I'm dreaming too, sitting and watching across from the yet unfilled stockings that hang from the fireplace mantel, contemplating the food in the pantry. Enough for a month, perhaps, more with just one eating. Wondering how long the heat will last, how long before the weight of continued snow breaks down power lines. But what I dream of is an early spring thaw. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Other Stories. I'm Dreaming Of Her was written by James Dorr, narrated by Manny Real Guy, edited by Duncan Muggleton with music by Duncan Muggleton and Tom Robson, and sound effect provided by freesound.org. The episode illustration was provided by Luke Spooner of Carry On House. A quick thanks to our community managers, Joshua Boucher and Jasmine Arch, and to Joshua Boucher and Carolyn O'Brien for helping with our submission reading. And of course to Ben Errington, the courageous storm chaser, fearlessly navigating the treacherous maelstroms of social media shitstorms. Listeners are invited to read James Dorr's blog at jamesdorrwriter.wordpress.com and that's Dorr spelled D-O-R-R. Manny Real Guy was forged in the centre of a supernova 10,000 years from now. He rides cosmic waves and feasts on dying planets shitting out stars. The Other Stories is a production of the Story Studio Hawk and Cleaver and is brought to you with a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. That means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means share the hell out of it. So, until next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.